Okay, guys, we're going to look, we're in chapter 3 of Revelation. We're going to be looking at lesson 9 today. We're going to be looking at the church at Philadelphia. And so let's take a look at this church. We're going to look at verses 7 through 13. So let's look at uh, chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast which you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Okay, folks, we're going to look at the uh, letter here to Philadelphia. And I need to remind you, this is not Philadelphia, PA. This is Philadelphia somewhere in Asia Minor at the time. And uh, so let's take a look. First of all, the recipient. Christ addressed the pastor of the church in Philadelphia. Again, he's writing to the pastor of the church in Philadelphia. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Philadelphia. It was located in an area noted for agricultural products, but it had been afflicted by earthquakes. In fact, they had had several earthquakes which destroyed the city several times. So they're in an area that's prone to earthquakes. It's wiped out the city several times. You would think they would be like, let's move. But obviously, for some reason, they wanted to stay there, maybe because of the agricultural industry, and they rebuilt it. So that's Philadelphia. Now, here's the description of Jesus. We're going to see three things from him here, and how he describes himself to this church. Now, I need to remind you of something here, that when he describes himself to the church, he's always wanting to point out something about himself that's relevant to that church. So let's look at the three things there. First of all, Christ affirms his deity as holy and true. He's affirming the fact that his deity, he's affirming his deity, that he's God and that he is holy and true. Look at what he says. These things says he who is holy and he who is true. So he's, he's affirming that he is God, therefore he's true and he's holy. The other thing he wants to affirm here is his authority. So, he talks about holding the key of David. Now, what does that mean, the key of David? Well, it really talks about, when you talk about having the key, 
you talk about having the authority over a place. So, in fact, today we kind of talk about it in terms of ceremonially. So when we have a special guest visit, you know, like somebody special visits Kerwinsville or Clearfield, you know, somebody big dignitary, what the mayor will do is give them the what? The key to the what? City. You know, it's interesting, you know, Saddam Hussein, Mr. Evil, Mr. You know, we're glad he's gone. Did you know that during the 80s when he was our ally, he went to a town in Wisconsin and they gave him the key to the city? I think they think, I'm sure they probably have struck that from their record books since then. You know what I'm saying? The whole point is when you have the key, you have authority. So what is he saying here? He's proclaiming his authority as the son of David. He's proclaiming his authority as the Son of David. He's not just, he's not just saying, I'm God, I'm, I'm holy, I'm true. He's saying, I'm a Son of David. I am the Son of David. He's the Messiah. And he has the authority of that. Then he goes on and says one other thing that I think is very important for all of us here today. Look at what he says here. He who opens... And no one shuts. And shuts, and no one opens. Here's what he says. Christ describes his actions as firm, which no one can interfere. Christ describes his actions as firm, which no one can interfere. Here's what's going on here. He's really talking about his sovereignty. Jesus is saying, I'm the one, if I open a door, no one can shut it. If I shut the door, no one's going to be able to open it. He's talking about his sovereignty, that he's in control. He's the one that when he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. When he does something, no one can undo what he's doing. Now, let me stop for a moment. How can that be something that you and I need to grasp a hold of today? How, how is that a lesson for us? When we look at Jesus... We understand that he's God. We understand that he's the Son of God. But when he makes this statement that, quote, listen to me, I'm the one who's in control. No one can reverse what I'm doing. What's the lesson in that for you and I? Okay, it gives you a sense of peace. Why, G? Okay, did you hear what she said? She doesn't have to be in control. She doesn't need to worry about it. What were you going to say, Bruce? Okay, if he calls you to do something, if he says, I want you to do this, he's going to make it so that you can do it. Oftentimes we'll look at what God tells us to do, and we'll say, there's no way I can do it, so you don't try. Well, here's the reality. God uses you because you can't do it. Because who's going to get the glory if he does it through you, folks? God gets the glory. If you could do it, and you did it, who's going to be bragging? I was really good, wasn't I? You know? What's wrong with your hand? I'm trying to slap myself on the back. I'm patting myself on the back. You know? It, it lifts up our ego. God says, look. Jesus says, I'm the one, when I say something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And we need to remember that. That he's the one who's in control here. So it's a description of Christ. Now, again, as we've mentioned before, there's a, there's a pattern to these letters. So he describes himself, and then he gives a commendation. He says what's going on that's really good with this church. 
So I want you to notice with me, verse 8, we're going to see the, com the commendation. Look at what it says here. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Three things I want you, four things I want you to see about this church. Number one, as always with all of these churches, Christ has an intimate knowledge of the church. So again, he says, I know your works. I know everything about you. I know everything that's going on in your life. He has an intimate knowledge about the church. The other thing I want you to see is, and this is, I think, is very important for this church, but it's also important for you and I as a church. Christ has set before them an opportunity for service. He says, look, I have set before you a door, an open door, and no one can shut it. So again, remember what he said. I'm the one who, who's in control. I'm the one, when I open it, nobody can shut it. When I close it, nobody can shut it. So here's what he's saying to this church. I've set before you an open door, an opportunity. Nobody's going to take away that opportunity. Nobody's going to shut the door on that opportunity. Isn't that an awesome thing? Folks, he set before us an opportunity. All you have to do is think back. If you think back for the last two years now, what God has been doing in our church and what, what He has been providing as opportunities of outreach and, and, and allowing for you, even in your own personal lives, to reach out to people and invite people to stuff, there is before us a door of opportunity. He's opened it. You've got to take advantage of it. Nobody's going to take that away. Until he shuts it. And so while it's open, we've got to what, folks? We've got to do our part. We've got to do our part, whatever he's telling us to do. And he's doing something, folks. And I don't think the door's shutting anytime soon. Just going to be honest with you. I don't think the door's shutting anytime soon. Because no sooner than we go a little bit through, we see, man, we've got to go a little bit further through the door. And he just opens things up. Opens things up. Look at their condition. He talks about their condition because you might be saying, well, boy, we've got this great opportunity, but boy, we don't have anything here. Look at what he tells this church. He says, Christ, Christ notes that they had little power and resources. He says to them, guys, I know you have little strength. And he also says, notice what that, that they have little power. They don't have the resources or the power to do it. So let me stop for a moment. He says, guys, I have set before you a door of opportunity, but I'm also aware that you don't have the strength or the resources to do it. Isn't that something? Here's the reality. Strength and resources have nothing to do with the opportunity. You may want to write that down. Strength and resources have nothing to do with the opportunity. If God set before you an opportunity... So you can take this home. If you're working and you set before you an opportunity at work to maybe share Christ with somebody, and you're saying, well, I don't have the brain power, I don't have the knowledge, or you set before you an avenue of ministry, and you're saying, I don't have, this, I don't have the resources or the finances or, or even the arm power to do it, you don't need to look at that and say, well, I guess I can't do it. It has nothing to do with the opportunity because Jesus is the one who sets the opportunity before you. He's the one who opens the door. So what is he saying here? Listen to me. I'm the one who opens the door. 
And I know that you have a little strength. What does that have to do with each other? How does that connect it? You don't need to worry about your little strength. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have to worry about the resources. You don't have to worry about your brain power. You just need to focus on the fact of what God is setting before you and do what He's saying. And He'll equip you to do it. That's the reality. He'll equip you to do it. You know, there was a, a great missionary from China who really, who really opened up Chinese missions. And his name was Hudson Taylor, James Hudson Taylor. And really the impact of China today is, I think a lot of it has to do with his ministry and the vision he had for China. And one thing that James Hudson Taylor said was this, God's will done God's way never lacks God's supply. Do you hear what I said? God's will done God's way never lacks God's supply. See, here's the thing. Jesus is saying to them, I have set before you an opportunity, but I know you've got a little strength. Don't sweat it. I'm the one who opens the door. Nobody can shut it. Go through it. That's what he's saying here. So he goes on and he says, their obedience. He commends them for their consistent obedience. Now that's the issue, really, folks. The issue is obedience. Look at what he says there. For you have little strength and have kept my word. That's talking about obedience there. You want to know something that God's more interested in than anything in our lives? More than your happiness is your obedience. Did you hear what I'm saying? Because a lot of folks today are focused on, oh, God just wants me to be happy stuff. Now, can I ask you, what does that mean? That is such a fleeting thing, isn't it? You be happy. How many of you, have you ever figured out how long happiness lasts? Three seconds, okay? For, yeah, or, or for the moment, you know, you go, I mean, i got to just look at a child. Dad, i got to have that new Lego set. You know, and they get it, and they're happy. They're happy on the way home with that Lego set. You know, they want to open it up in the car. Dad says, no, I'm not having pieces laying all over the car. You know, I'm not going to have you fussing where the pieces are. You wait till you get home. And they get home, they open up their Lego set, and they put it together, and they're happy. Go check on them an hour later. There's that Lego set laying over there in the corner. They're doing something else. How long did happiness last? Not very long. But have you noticed when we talk about this stuff about God wants me to be happy? No, God doesn't. God's not interested in your happiness because you're not going to find happiness here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Happiness is not going to be found here. Now, you'll have joy here. Joy and happiness are two different things. The joy that he said we would have that is full is found in who? Jesus. And you can have joy in the midst of strong difficulties, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of problems. You can have joy, because your joy is found in Christ who gets you through that. But what God is more interested in is you being obedient to what He tells you to do. That's where we, you, you really need to do what He tells you to do. Let me just stop for a moment. Some of you are thinking, oh yeah, now, now we've got to dress a certain way, and now we've got to carry a certain way. I said what he tells you to do, not what some guy told you to do. 
men usually tell you to take care of outer stuff. The outward appearance stuff. God, when you look at what He tells you to do, what does He tell you to do with reference to? It's your heart. And it's a lot more difficult, isn't it? So that, that's the reality. So He's saying to this church, man, you are consistent in your obedience to me. I know that. Now He goes on, and He says one other thing about this. Christ commends them for not giving in to the pressure to deny Christ. He commends them for their endurance. Look at what he says. And have not denied my name. He commends them for not giving in to the pressure to deny him. Hey folks, is that pressure there today? I mean, and it's subtle. It doesn't have to be deny the faith. It doesn't have to be like that. Curse Jesus. It doesn't have to be like that. Denying Christ could be simply compromising what you know is right. Compromising who you are as a child of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he's saying he's commending them for not giving into the pressure to deny Jesus. Now, let's look at the next section of the, usually of these letters is a rebuke. And so I want you to notice the fact that in this letter there is no rebuke. So notably is the fact that Christ did not rebuke them. Notably is the fact that Christ did not rebuke them. Christ didn't rebuke this church. There was nothing this church was doing that was wrong. When you, one day this church right here, we're, as, as who we are right now, is going to stand before Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if he said, I didn't find anything wrong with you? Wouldn't that be great? I'm sure he will. You know that too, right? But this church didn't have anything wrong. They had a door of opportunity, even though they lacked strength. They were obedient to what he told them to do. And even in spite of pressure, they didn't deny him. That's something to shoot for, isn't it? That when the door of opportunity, that we're not going to worry about what we don't have, we're just going to be obedient. And we're not going to worry about outside pressure. We're going to do what he tells us to do. That's what this church did, and he didn't find anything wrong with it. Isn't that awesome? So notice the exhortation. And let's spend some time here. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11, and we're going to look at three specific things that he is promising this church that I think have implications for you and I. Notice verse 9. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. Here's what he's saying here. This church probably was facing some severe persecution from the synagogue of the Jews of that day. You obviously know that from reading through the book of Acts, that not all Jews accepted Jesus. They were very antagonistic towards the church and, and persecuted them. So obviously the Jewish synagogue and that community of Philadelphia was persecuting these believers. And notice what he says. Saint, Jesus refers to them as the synagogue of Satan because they would refer to themselves as the synagogue of God's people, of God. That's where God is worshipped. Jesus didn't see it that way. 
And so here's what he says to that church. Here's what he says to those believers in Philadelphia. And I think there's some implications for you and I here today. Their enemies will acknowledge them, Christ's love for them. I want you to think for a moment. Is there somebody in your life right now that is so antagonistic about your faith? Is there somebody who mocks you as a Christian? You know, I can, I can think, you know, when I was a young Christian, I was in the National Guard, and I was in a, a, a maintenance unit in Columbia, South Carolina. And, and there was a sergeant in my unit who was just flat-out antagonistic towards Christians. I mean, he would mock Christians. He was just flat-out. He, he, he felt, and he stated, and you probably heard this, that it was just a crutch for drunks and drug addicts. If you've got a problem, go find Jesus. The rest of us who don't have a problems, we don't need them. And that guy was pretty antagonistic. And that can be pretty intimidating when you're a private and the sergeant is that way. You know what? I, I don't need to worry about that kind of junk. Because when I look at this passage, this passage tells me that one day there's a day of reckoning. And one day in the day of reckoning, Jesus is saying, look at what this passage says. I will make them come. Look at what he says to this church. I will make them come. Who's he referring to? He's talking about these Jews that were persecuting them. I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. They're going to acknowledge in that day that we worship Jesus and that he loved us. Isn't that awesome? One day, your enemies are going to acknowledge you. Your enemies of your faith are going to acknowledge before Jesus. Yes. Yep. Sam, he believed in Jesus, and I gave him a hard time. I mean, you won't hear it now. But one day you will hear it. Yes. I mocked Bruce. But I know now that he loves you, Jesus. You understand, your enemies, it's, you understand, here's the thing, here's what I want you to understand. Here's what's going on, here's what Jesus is doing with this statement. There's a greater principle here that you and I need to grasp. Remember I told you that one of the themes of this book of Revelation is that you endure in your faith, that you persevere to the end. Because in the end, you will be rewarded. He is trying to tell you to persevere. Because right now, when people do junk against you, when people mock you, when people slander you, see, he's trying to tell us in this passage, don't worry about the junk you're going through today, because one day, those who abuse you, I'm going to set things right. And they're going to acknowledge you. Do you see the, the encouragement of that? We sometimes in this world think, man, is, there any, is it ever going to end? Is the junk ever going to end? Is the, is the problems ever going to end? Is somebody ever going to make this right? Jesus is saying, I'm going to make it right. They're going to come and bow down before you and acknowledge you that you were mine. Isn't that an awesome thought? I mean, when you think about it, the picture isn't... Let me explain something to you folks. The picture here isn't, oh yeah, my day's coming, you're going to be on your knees. But don't use that, okay? That's not the picture here. The picture is, oh yeah, Jesus, you're in control. And every knee will bow. 
and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we will rule with you. Isn't that awesome? That's the picture he's giving here. He's exhorting them. Your enemies are going to acknowledge you. And they're going to acknowledge the love I have for you. Here's the other thing. This is a great promise. You want to put a star by this one. Verse 10. Read what it says. Because you have kept my commandments to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Let me explain something before I tell you what this is. The hour of trial throughout the Bible refers to the events of the coming of Christ. So he's promising this church, if you continue to be obedient and you persevere in your faith towards me, I'm going to keep you from this hour. So here's what it is. Christ promises them that they will not have to endure the coming tribulation. This is a promise. In fact, I think it's significant. When you leave this chapter, chapter 3, chapter 2 and 3, and and 1, 2, and 3, we talk about churches. When we get to chapter 4, all the way through the end of the Bible, through the end of Revelation, you don't see the word church anymore. You're not going to see the word church anymore. He's promising this church because you endure. If you are patient, I'm coming. I'm going to keep you from it. The hour of testing. This is a promise, my folks. You need to put this down. Some refer to this as the promise of the rapture. Do you understand? He's going to keep you from that hour of trial which is to come. And then he gives them an encouragement to endure. Look at verse 11. He says this, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Here's what he's saying. He encourages them to persevere to the end. You just hold on. Times may be tough. And folks, I think they're going to get tougher. Here's the promise. Look at verse 12 through 13. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in a temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. First thing I want you to see is this. He's gonna, they will have a permanent place in heaven. Here's the, here's the principle. When you talk about a pillar on a temple, you're assuming it's a big, huge, marble edifice that's there. When you look at that, it's not like it's going to disappear anytime soon, is it? So it's really talking about your permanence. It's the assurance that you're going to have a permanent place in heaven. Here's the promise. He's promising you for heaven forever. And notice what he says there. Look at that first part there. He says, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. You're not leaving there, folks. There's no way to leave there. You're there forever. Let's go on now. He says this, And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. Here's what he's saying there. They will belong to God. And it's, we, we, we understand that concept. Remember this? You know, when you get something it's special, some of you, to make sure that if it gets stolen, you know it's yours, you engrave, you engrave your name on it. You write your name on things to let it know, this is mine, my possession here. You know? 
And, and that's a concept we understand throughout our culture. Whether it's schoolwork or whatever we're doing, we write our names on things to show that this belongs to me. He's saying here, you will have a permanent place in heaven. You're going to be a pillar. But here's what it, God's going to write his name on you. That you belong to him. And so that's the whole point is they will belong to God. You're going to belong to God. And the other thing is, is they will belong to Christ. Because not only that, he says, I will write on him my new name. You're going to belong to Christ. And then finally, here's the exhortation. We are called to acknowledge what the Holy Spirit reveals to us. So God is speaking to you. You need to acknowledge what it is that he's talking to you about. All right, let's close our time in prayer and we'll get ready for the morning worship service.